the 2000s saw a lot of amazing films, and we had so much fun doing our top 10 films of the 2010s that we decided to just work our way backwards through the decades and deliver our top 10s of everything. Why not? So these are our top 10 personal favorites of the 2000s, so 2000 to 2009. And I'm going to have my list, Austin's going to have his list, and we're just going to go back and forth and talk about the films that we absolutely loved through that decade. Yes. And I hope you have as much fun listening to it as we have talking about it. I'm Connor Zagari. And I'm Austin Johnson. And this is another special episode of Filmgasm. So the 2000s. Uh, where do you even want to start? It was a great year. We saw the introduction to some incredible filmmakers. Uh, some other f- filmmakers from the 90s found their groove. Yeah, yeah. And just kept going. And uh, yeah, I thought possibly like the best year for maybe, like the best decade for Tarantino, I would say. Yeah, it's very complete. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And a lot of other filmmakers. We had, you know, the epic Lord of the Rings. We had Oh the- my gosh. Oh, superhero movies start. Yeah, we had the Marvel <laughs> boom begin with X-Men and Spider-Man. Yeah, Dark Knight, Batman, yeah. yeah, movies that are making crazy amounts of money using comic books. Saw the rise of Christopher Nolan. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of other people, like uh, I think Paul Thomas Anderson had some great hits in the 2000s. For sure. Wes Definitely. Anderson. Yeah, yeah it's, it's phenomenal. For film buffs, yeah, it just keeps getting better. Yeah. There's no bad decade of film, really. No, especially if, if you're passionate like you and I. We, we'll, we'll find we'll find ours that we really enjoy. Oh, absolutely. You know. 100%. All right. So, yeah, we, we both uh, compiled our top 10 favorites, and uh, let's begin. Yeah, so I'll start off with my number 10, which I have a feeling, I don't know if you're going to have this film, but you'll have something from this trilogy. <laughs> uh, number 10 is 2001's Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, I do not have either of the other two in my top ten. I wanted to choose one from the trilogy. I think you did the same thing. I'll let you get to that as you will later on. Yeah. Uh, I chose the first one because I think it's an incredible tone setter. Uh, I actually really enjoy the dialogue at the beginning when it's a little bit slower. Oh, yes. And I think the scene when Boromir, uh, you know, dies is one of the greatest scenes I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Uh, It's very epic. Uh, Again, a great table, table setter, good tone setter, something that you know, begins begins my favorite trilogy. You know, if you don't count the Hobbit movies of all time, so uh, yeah, I had I had to put something on there, and this is the one that I connect with the most over time. I understand it's probably not the most entertaining. You know, Two Towers has some epic moments. Return of the King has some epic moments. But Fellowship, I like the way it's constructed. You know, it's just it's my favorite. Fellowship. I mean, I would argue that all three of those are equally entertaining and exciting, and it's really tough to pick a favorite there. I think they're all tens. Yeah, and. For me, like the scene that continues to be unbelievable is the entirety of Moria. Oh my gosh! Everything from going through that door to the Balrog is pure gold, and it really is intense. And it's, I think it sets this film apart because you are expecting. Like I had never read the book, I still haven't. I have now, but yeah, I hadn't. Yeah, and you expect this to be your run-of-the-mill fantasy story, you know, yep. the wizard's gonna see them off, to the, and he's gonna defeat the bad guy, and then they get sidetracked, and Gandalf fucking dies! Yeah. Like, it's out of nowhere, and it totally breaks the fellowship, and then they have to just go their separate ways, and at that point, you're thinking, what is gonna happen next? <laughs> so, yeah, I would argue, yeah, fellowship totally deserves to be there. Hell yeah. And uh, I do have one, but I'm not going to say anything yet. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so let's start off with your number 10. 
My number 10 is a horror film that was filmed entirely on digital video. One of the first films to do that. The Danny Boyle classic, 28 Days Later. Oh, yeah. A phenomenal horror film. One of the most realistic zombie films ever made. Still terrifying. Mm -hmm. Stars Killian Murphy, Naomi Harris, Brendan Gleeson, Christopher Eccleston. Amazing cast. And... I it's one of the best horror films ever made. It's so tense. The the uh, the transformation from human to zombie is instant. You have twelve seconds to kill this person, yes. or they're gonna kill you. Oh, so the intense. rage infection, the isolated London. It's amazing. It's visually freakish. Like you're just you're wondering like when is something gonna jump out? Yes. And I still am like I've read stories about how they did this, and I don't believe it. It doesn't sound like they could pull this off to have just London look completely desolate. Oh, man. Oh, so great. Great pick. So great, The Walking Dead ripped it off. Yes. (laughs) Indeed, they did. (laughs) Yeah. And I love the idea that the soldiers are so desperate for women that they capture these girls, and they're going to rape them. They they try to kill Jim. Like, these are supposed to be your heroes. They've found rescue, but they're worse than the zombies. They're the true monster. And Christopher Eccleston, their commander, is just like, I promised them women, and... I'm going to deliver because they're my men. Like, he's so cold. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. 28 Days Later, one of my favorites. That's an awesome one. It's not on my list, but I definitely thought about it. One of my favorites. Stellar, stellar film. Oh, so good. All right. (laughs) All righty. So on to number nine. Uh, We're going to be going to 2005 here for what should have won the best picture over Crash. That would be Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback. I thought that was going to be farther down on yours, honestly. Like, hi- like higher? I thought that was going to be like your number one. Admittedly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is a, a Ang Lee's, you know, arguably his masterpiece. You know, he's yeah. got Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as well, which I adore. Almost put on this list as well. Uh, Brookwick Mountain. Um, how do I start? How do I begin? Um, definitely didn't see this movie when it came out. I was 10 years old. Yeah. Um, growing up here in Texas, uh, and growing up religiously in Texas, this is not a movie that you uh, would be allowed to see. So uh, sad. It's, it's very, very sad. sad. Brutally sad because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, obviously, if it's in a decade top yeah. ten, it's probably going to be one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Um, it, the acting alone, aside from the story, aside from the, the content that's inside of it that people are, for whatever reason, kind of scared of, <laughs> the acting alone is something to behold, like something that you could put in a fucking museum between Heath Ledger and uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Anne Hathaway. And Michelle Williams, it is like, it, it's just something, it's like a Hall of Fame performance from all of them, you know, it's like, whoa, each one of them, when I think of them, when I think of Heath, obviously I think of Joker, but I, I, I think of, you know, Ennis Delmar, when I think of Jake Gyllenhaal, of course I have my personal favorites, but then I think, this is this is when he was the best, Jack Twist is when he was the best, Yeah, he's turning from like, you know, boy star that was like in that weird Donnie Darko movie, and to, oh my god, this is like a great American actor, you know, um. Uh, and then Hathaway and Michelle Williams are like extremely overlooked in this movie because they're the counterparts to these two gay cowboys. But my God, they fucking bring it in every scene, and and, and they have just as much to do, you know, uh, acting wise. Um, so you know, obviously, Brokeback Mountain's about two men kind of grappling with um, their attraction to one another and admitting that they love each other is not something that they can do during these times. Yeah, it takes place in the 70s. Yeah, 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 the film takes place from the 60s to the 80s, so it's like a 20-year jaunt, and how Heath Ledger at age 26, 25, whatever, was able to look like that, I, I don't fucking know. I don't know how he did what he did in that movie. He's, he's like, he ages, it's the perfect, I totally buy that he's like a 40-something-year-old cowboy, you know? 
when he's really a 25 year old actor. It's that amazing. Performance, it's that skill. It's amazing. I mean, yeah, his. Uh, I mean, I swear, Jack. You know, it's just this movie makes me cry. It's probably my favorite love story of all time. Uh, I would have to really think about that, but off the top of my head, it's like my favorite love story. It's beautiful. And it's and it, yeah, and it it contains you know Jake Gyllenhaal is my favorite actor under 40 right now, and I, I fucking adore him, and this is probably his best work. Um, I have some other you know roles that I really enjoy of his, but I'm willing to admit that Brockbrook Mountains, when he was forced to bring it out the best, yeah. And this is a movie everybody needs to see. Yeah. Um, aside with the, the you know stigmas around it, obviously it's 2019 now. This is 14 years ago. It's such an unwarranted stigma. It's it's fucking ridiculous, yeah. is what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know there's people who are listening who are like, "What are you talking about? What stigma?" It's like, well, not all of you have grown up in you know Central Texas around a bunch of white. Yeah. White people who are you know worshiping God all the time. So and it's I just up, different. I grew up in like rural Maryland, so it's a similar mindset. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, and, and when a big movie with like stars like this, directed by Ang Lee, this mastermind, it's just it's just gonna have a you know it's just gonna have some backlash, which sucks, but it does it makes me like the movie more. Yeah, because there's that kind of like fuck you, you know. Well, you um, finally convinced me to watch this. Yeah, no, I, I told you, I told you, I was like, just watch it, man. You don't, and you know. It was, I was sobbing. It was one of the most. Yeah, touching you texted films. me right away, and we're like, dude, it was why? touching. I, I was, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it felt like it was a real love story, and it was. Yeah, yeah. It should have taken best picture. Heath Ledger oh should have taken God. best actor that year. It's one of the. It's probably the the, the biggest like snub of all time yeah I would definitely agree there's other years where like not maybe not such a great movie one but like this is like it's right there it's right there (laughs) just just give it the award you know yeah and it's just frustrating looking back because if Brokeback would have lost to No Country for Old Men fair enough fair play whatever you can have your but this is like a a year where it's like it's it's fucking obvious yeah let's let's really look at these movies and see which one's better that doesn't really matter it doesn't weigh in on my you know um, I love the Oscars but it doesn't they don't weigh in on how I uh, enjoy a film, and you know, Brockwick Mountains, hands down, one of the best put together films I've ever seen. I adore it. Well said. Beautiful, great movie, great pick. Uh, my number nine is the revitalization of the James Bond franchise, 2006's Casino Royale. I knew this was coming. Of course, had to. <laughs> had to. It's the best one. It's the best one. It's Daniel maybe, Craig. Maybe ever. It's his first Bond film. It might be the best Bond film ever, as there, far as I've seen. An I've argument seen can be made. I agree with that. It's a film that sees James Bond on his first mission as a double O, and it's a film a lot of people thought was going to fail, because Daniel Craig got a lot of backlash. Every time there's a new actor with an iconic role, everybody's like, you know, holding their breath. And Daniel Craig was no exception, but he brought a weird kind of sociopathic humanity to James Bond that we'd never seen before. He says it in the movie, he has to be half monk, half hitman. And it's a perfect, like, it's the perfect uh, way to humanize this character who for 50 years has been just kind of a womanizing, walking, like, boner yeah. with a gun. And now... <laughs> the, the dick, dick is his gun! gun. Yes! <laughs> You pull the trigger to my love gun. <laughs> Wonderful. Role models. So, Casino Royale, we see James Bond invested in a high-stakes poker game against a terrorist called Le Chief, played beautifully by Mads Mikkelsen. Fantastic villain. One of the coolest performances of the decade, for sure. And this movie managed to make the poker possibly the best part of the movie, the most tense, like more tense than the action sequences, which are already fucking awesome. Directed by Martin Campbell, who'd previously done Goldeneye. Yes. So he had Bond street cred. Bond theme by Chris Cornell. You know my name. Fucking great. And yeah, I was hooked immediately. I was a big... I had already kind of been a Bond fan at the time. And I was like, this is sweet. 
And oh, it's just yeah. gotten better with age. It's my favorite Bond film to just throw on. No, it's so rewatchable. So great. And by the end of the film, it's almost like you're watching James Bond become 007. Like, this is... He has to go through these trials to be the agent we all know and love. And it's phenomenal. It's, it's Daniel Craig's best Bond film so far. I, I'm sure No Time to Die is going to be good, but I doubt it's going to be this good. And and that's all I got to say about that. Hell yeah. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Is what I'll say about that. That's a good. That's a good number nine for both of us. That was or, your number. No, that? your no, your number. Mine was broke back. Yeah, yours, yours. Those are very dear to us. Was this on your list? No, all? it's not. Ah, no. Thought it was gonna be. No, no, no. No bond here. Ah, there's too many bangers, man. <laughs> that uh, that brings us to one that I know is gonna be on yours. My number eight is Quentin Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Ah, yep. Overlap. Where, where's that for you? That's my number two. Woo! <laughs> Damn, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to steal. No, no problem. I want to steal your clout. Uh, I, mm, this is the movie to me. If you are making a list of, two, of the 2000s, whoever you are, this needs to be there. Yes. This is a absolute masterpiece. Um, there's times in my life where this would be number one. Yeah. Of the 2000s. There's it was times- close. It was close. I adore it. And even having a number eight, I mean, these I love these movies so much. You know, even even deciding whether Brokeback or this is more important to me is fucking hard. And I had to go with the, the I, I watched this movie a lot. Particularly, I watched the first 30 minutes a lot. Yeah. I turned that scene on, the Christoph, the famous Christoph Waltz, you know, talking about rats and... Milk. <laughs> it, it, it's... it's Iconic is not even the right word. I don't even know what, what to use. This is the best World War II movie. Ooh. This is a movie... Similarly to Once Upon a Time, fictional nonfiction, fucking with history yeah. for our own sake um, to make us feel a little bit better and be able to cheer about something because there are, there are dark times in our past. Yeah. And uh, Tarantino loves to fuck with that. And, of course, we both adore him. Oh. Um, Bastards is, is a masterpiece. I'll let you speak more on it when we get to our number twos. Yeah. So what's your number eight? My number eight is the long-awaited sequel to a Christopher Nolan masterpiece. It's a film that had so much hype and delivered and continues to be arguably the best superhero movie ever made in some circles. 2008's The Dark Knight. Woo! (laughs) The Dark Knight. The Dark Knight starring Christian Bale in his second bout as Batman and Heath Ledger as the Joker, among others. It is a phenomenal cat and mouse game between two of pop culture's most iconic characters. Yes. Done in the most iconic way. Heath Ledger's Joker has yet to be surpassed. And probably never will be. And he won a posthumous Best Supporting Actor for this. Well-deserved. The only actor to date to win for a comic book movie. Yes. That may change next year. Mm Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, this movie has, I think, the best best Joker, best Two-Face. Yes. I love the story. Getting Getting to see Harvey Dent driven to madness is so brilliant. And it tackles with themes of, you know, how long can Bruce Wayne keep this up? Like... At what point does Batman become obsolete? When is he the problem? And Harvey Dent comes across as this, you know, guy, this Gotham's white knight. He's the new DA who's actually making a difference. But who's the real hero here? Is it Batman or is it Harvey? And in the end, you kind of still don't know. Oh, I still don't know today after I've seen this movie at least 50 times. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's incredibly well acted. It's incredibly well written. The score is beautiful. Hans Zimmer is such a fucking master of his craft. Oh my god, yeah. And I I could watch this all day. It's, it's again, a very, very rewatchable It remains movie. the best Batman movie ever. Yeah. And wonderful. 
Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't say enough. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Morgan Freeman. You know, it's just everyone is hitting like an all cylinder. Even Eric Roberts is yeah. great in this. Mag- yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like everybody's, everybody's awesome. Uh, this movie, it's it's not on mine. I had a hard time leaving. Wow, it. really? Dark Knight is not on mine. Oh, this I am. Wow. Okay. My my initial thoughts are being like just dashed here. That's got, what happened last time yeah. too. <laughs> oh man. I mean, not to say I do adore the Dark Knight, but. All these other movies, and I had it there, you know, like I was right when I was writing them down. I was like, what about the Dark Knight, other than Heath Ledger, sets it apart from these other ones, and there's nothing else that, um, you know, like my 10th is Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. I, I just like it better than that. Overall, as a movie, I like it better than Dark Knight. Heath Ledger's performance, if we were talking about top 10 performances of the decade, that's a different story. <laughs> but I think the movie isn't just Heath Ledger's performance. Oh, no, it's not. No, it's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, less is more yeah. uh, with the Joker. No, no, everybody else is amazing. It's, a, it's an awesome movie. I think it's, it's smart how the movie handled Heath Ledger's death. Because it was, a yeah. big, you know, in January of 08, Heath Ledger died of an accidental overdose. And he had finished his role in this film, but he was supposed to be the bad guy in The Dark Knight Rises as well. Yes. And the whole Harvey Dent Two-Face thing was supposed to be the story for part three. Yes. So Nolan decided to cram that into the third act, but he did it in such a smart way that it works thematically and is probably my favorite part of the movie is Harvey's descent into madness as Two-Face. Yeah. Because it's, it's so sad. Brutally sad. And then you, and then you get that great scene yeah. where the Joker visits him. Yeah. Where he talks about his plan. And puts the gun to his head. Yeah. Now we're talking. And you get, you know, Harvey picks up the coin for the first time and Joker's like, I did it. I created my masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm. Beautiful. I love this movie so Brilliant. Much. It's brilliant. <laughs> great pick. Had to, be, had to be in there for one of us, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is ranked as like one of the top 10 greatest movies of all time on like every list, you know. It, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Totally. Alrighty. So we're on to number seven here. Number seven. All right, my number seven is uh, Wes Anderson's 2007, The Darjeeling Limited. Uh-huh. Uh, I adore this movie. I made a top five of Wes Anderson, and I had this number two to a uh, movie in the 90s that was number one. We'll get to that some other time. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I, I adore Wes Anderson. Uh, yeah. Good old Texan native. Um, one, of the, one of those guys who's just kind of always mm, denied... Denied the suits, denied all the people telling him what to do, and just kind of has had his own vision. Even if you don't like it, if you don't, um, if it's not for you, if the quirkiness and like the, you know, the symmetrics and all that, and the, the set pieces, if that's not for you, then that's fine. I totally get it. But it is very much for me, very much right up my alley. And the Darjeeling, you know, it stars Owen Wilson, Adrian Brody, and uh, Jason Schwartzman as brothers. What, what, more, what more could Austin Johnson want? Uh, my God. And then directed by Wes Anderson, these, these three brothers are just traveling through India, taking all kinds of drugs the entire time. And I, I just, I, I'm, I'm all in every time. And it's one of those rare, one of those rare hour and 30 minute dramedies that I find new things in, uh, which is, which is rare for those. Usually those are just like, Oh, I'm just going to throw it on background noise. But the Darjeeling, when it comes on and I see Bill Murray running, I'm, I'm fucking like really locked in. And, uh, it's very dear to me because I, uh, I see myself as Jason Schwartzman, and I see my two older brothers as Owen Wilson and Adrian Brody in this because they have some disdain towards some family issues that they've had, and so they kind of lean on each other, and my brothers and I have done that a lot in our own lives. And so this this movie is just really, really important to, to me, uh, not only because of that relatability, but I also think it's fucking hilarious. So I highly suggest people go check this one out. It's one of those Wes Anderson's that didn't get any money, didn't, yeah. ma- didn't do anything, wasn't up for anything. Um, 
it's seen as like the lesser. I, I just f totally fucking disagree. I think those people are way wrong. Uh, definitely go check it out. I don't think you've seen it. So. I have not. I'm, I'm gonna let you borrow it soon. I've I, barely tapped into Wes Anderson. We'll get to him one. I, yeah, he's, I love him, man. I really do. I really love his his commitment to his vision. Is uh, you know, we talk about guys like Tar Tarantino and Carpenter, and Wes Anderson does the same shit. It's just not as intense. Yeah, uh, but but he has his own Very commitment. Whimsical. He has his own vision, his own idea, and he he like throws like deep cut Beatles songs like into his movies, and I'm like, this is my guy, this is my guy. So yeah, Darjeeling had to be in there. I, I love it. It was hard for me to not put it higher, honestly. But uh, you know, we're we're getting to the nitty gritty here. So. Yes, we are. What's your number seven? My number seven is the second installment of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's Cornetto trilogy, 2007's Hot Fuzz. Yes, my, maybe my favorite comedy of the 2000s. It's one of the funniest, smartest movies I've ever seen in my life. Super cop Nicholas Angel, the star of the London police force, is transferred to the country because he's m making the rest of the police force look bad. And he becomes sergeant of this quaint little town called Sanford, where weird accidents start happening and he starts putting together a conspiracy of murder and nobody believes him and everyone treats him like a joke. But then he starts realizing what's really going on, and it's fucking hilarious. You've got old, like, big-time uh, English character actors like Timothy Dalton and Edward Woodward and Jim Broadbent playing villains uh, in this movie, and it's so great. Timothy Dalton said this was the most fun he ever had on a set. <laughs> and it's fucking great. You've got Simon Pegg and, and uh, Nick Frost as partners. Of course. It's <laughs> one of the coolest combos on the screen ever. Oh, yeah, and Nick Frost is this, you know, overweight country cop who's obsessed with action movies and thinks that uh, Nicholas Angel, Simon Pegg, is like God's gift to, to police work. And it, the the script is so smart. The dialogue is always, it's reworked later in the movie for different situations. I see something new every time I watch it and it's just another one of my, like, it was such, it was a coin flip between Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz here and I just, I had to go with my gut. Hot Fuzz is my favorite like of the Cornetto trilogy. I like that. One of my all-time faves. And it's incredible. I have so much fun watching that movie. All three of them have just a fucking blast. Yes, they do. Wonderful. They're great movies. <laughs> I, I, those, I, I'm past due to it to like rewatch those. Oh, yeah. I watched uh, uh, World's End not too long ago, but yeah, it's been a minute since Hot Fuzz. Those are my, like some of my go-to movies. If I'm ever bored, I will Comfort throw, I'll throw on a Cornetto. Yeah. Yeah, because you know what you're going to get. Exactly. Which is just good, clean, fucking fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know about clean. Yeah. Never mind. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, Jesus. All right. Fuck a doodle do. All right. Let's do this. Moving on to our number sixes. Uh, oh, I'm going to bring up one of our favorite um, uh, directing, you know, duos Ooh. of all time. Uh, we did, let's see, episode 25, The Coens. I believe so. Thirty episode twenty five, thirty. I can't remember which one. We've done so many at this point. Who knows? Yeah, we did. We did. Yeah, we did not too long. You know, a couple months back, we did a you know deep dive on the uh, Coen Brothers movies. And uh, this is my third favorite Coen movie, and that would be 2009's A Serious Man. Good old Larry Gopnik, starring Michael Stuhlbarg and Richard Kind, and uh, not a lot of people that we all know, um, which is one of the reasons that it's such an interesting Coen movie. Yes, the Coens usually get these people. We know who they are. <laughs> John Goodman. They get these people to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back. Let's write for them. Let's write for them. Yeah. And then occasionally, um, A Serious Man would be that. Uh, Inside Lewin Davis, even though it does have John Goodman, you got like Oscar Isaac on the screen the whole fucking time and Kerry Mulligan. Um, there, there's occasionally like a standout where it's like, oh, the Coens were really doing something different from even them. 
uh, even as weird and different as they were, a serious man is just a like super slowed down pace for what they're used to. It's the movie inspired by their faith. Yes, yeah, and, and it it's man, it's so methodical. Yes, and, and it takes like five watches to get to where my fandom is of it. Yeah, uh, because the first time I watched it, I was like, "What's the big fucking deal?" Um, this is like I I thought it was like one of the worst five Coen Brother movies when I first saw it. Now I'm like, it's one of my three favorite. Uh, and only rising every time I watch it, I'm like, man, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I adore it. Um, the, the simplicity of it, uh, yeah, like Connor brought up, you know, it's faith based. Um, I'm 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 just fascinated by that stuff. When when faith is involved, when your your feelings and emotions and and what you believe in is on the line, I think that's like, what what what's more interesting than that? You know? Yeah. Uh, and and this movie, oh boy, and the Jefferson Airplane. Essentially, the soundtrack from Jefferson Airplane is great. <laughs> uh, really cool feel. There's nothing, They haven't done anything like this. Uh, Serious Man is one of their standouts to me and for me because of the simplicity and because of the relatability to any of us because we all, we all at some point think about what's going to happen to us. Yeah. Um, at some point, I would say even each day. So, <laughs> so it's, 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 just, it's great. It's got some great quotes. Richard Kind is amazing. Uh, that guy blows me away. Uh, every little thing he does, I'm like, man, that Richard Kind guy, you know, Bing Bong, like he's crazy, he's awesome. And Larry Gopnik is, I love that character, you know, the good old Midwest physics teacher. Yeah, <laughs> he's great. Yeah, I, I have a lot of fun with that one. I know you don't like have as deep of a connection, but you get it. I did enjoy it. It's Cohen. You get it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right on. Right on, man. My number six is going back to Tarantino, the first installment of his epic two-part revenge thriller. Kill Bill Volume 1. I knew this was coming. <laughs> Had to be. Uma Thurman plays the bride, a jilted assassin who's murdered, so she, or so he thinks, by her ex-employer slash ex-lover Bill, this mythical assassin king. And the bride wakes up after seven years in a coma, realizes her baby's gone, and she has people to kill. She's going on a vengeance quest for her baby. And it's... Part one sees her go to Tokyo to take on the Yakuza, led by Oren Ishii, played by Lucy Liu. And it's just, it's the perfect, like, just action thriller samurai movie. There's, you know, you got guest appearances by, like, Sonny Chiba. Like, fuck yeah, man, come on. Let's go. Yeah, this this movie's one of my favorites. There's so many great lines, so many great characters. Throwaway characters, like, you know, off the top of my head, Michael Bowen's Buck. <laughs> fucking sick bastard. You got Michael Parks as Sheriff McGraw. Just come on. How do you not enjoy something like I this? I know, right? It's <laughs> so much fun. It's it's the ultimate Tarantino movie because it's just it is. it's him doing, you know, a samurai movie. It's him making doing, every decision yeah, he wants to make. It's him doing yeah. a Shaw Brothers pick. And and um, we actually will be talking about. Well, I don't know when exactly this is going to be released, so I'll just kind of talk. Uh, we, Connor and I talked a lot about, and we're gonna, we have an episode on Escape from New York talking about with his uncle Sean about strong female characters. Yeah, and like Carpenter and you know people kind of doing that. Tarantino is the fucking master yes. of it. Yes, he is the master. He may not have been the first, but he's the master of it of putting it literally on the poster. Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. Yeah. come on, man. Jennifer Jason Lee and Hateful Eight. Get the fuck out of here. It's yeah. just amazing stuff. So absolutely, I love that you have Kill Bill. I I adore it. Again, you know, it's Tarantino. I adore it. It's just doesn't quite find a place on this list. <laughs> I, but I absolutely love it and totally understand why you do have oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Kill Bill Volume 1 was my, I think it was my intro to Tarantino. Amazing. 
or it might have been volume two, honestly, because I think volume one was too uh, too much because I was like eight or nine years old. Yeah. My mom's like, well, you can watch part two, but you can't watch part one. So I was lost. <laughs> but I was thinking like, this is kind of cool. I wonder who these people are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got David Carradine as Bill. I mean, come on. Such a, such a cool dude. Unbelievable. Yeah, just such a fun movie. Such a great action pick. Indeed, yeah. But definitely, definitely one of the best action movies of the decade. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Right on. All right. Number five. Here we go. Getting to our fives. Uh, I'm going to keep keep that uh, just did a serious man and stick with the Coens. I'm going to go with uh, 2007's No Country for Old Men. I knew it was coming. You don't have this one? I do not. You have no Coens. I have no Coens. Wow. No Coens from the 2000s. <laughs> 90s will change that. <laughs> There's one later in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I'll fuck you in the ass. <laughs> uh, no Country for Old Men, of course, the best picture winner. It's, their, it's the Coens kind of quote-unquote masterpiece <laughs> that came in a year with There Will Be Blood and Zodiac and Michael Clayton. Like, oh, crazy year. Uh, and it won. It did win. No music. <laughs> uh, Western, essentially. <laughs> and it won. It won Best Picture. It is uh, captivating, to say the least. Uh, you know, Tommy Lee Jones, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, uh, Woody Harrelson. I, need I say more? Is this the most <laughs> badass cast of all time? Probably. <laughs> Uh, you know, yeah, but I don't know. I think everyone's seen this one, right? This is one of those 2000s that's kind of like on every list. Yeah. Uh, it it's still still stands out. It still like rocks me as much as it did the first time I saw it. Uh, even when I watch it now, like we watched, I watched it not that long ago for our Cohen podcast, and I was just like, it just boom, <laughs> just kind of wipes me away for a whole yeah. two and a half hours. I, I just. I go to a different place and I, I start kind of talking like them the next couple days after. I'll be talking like Tommy Lee and doing a lot of, you know, narration. And <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And it's just it's just one of those where I, I, I haven't seen a lot of movies better than it, you know. Um, it's It could also be number one, you know. it's Yeah. It, it could be number one. It's one of those. It's like in Glorious Bastards. It's like on, on, on a certain day, I might say it is my favorite movie of the 2000s. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I adore it. I'm kind of shocked it's not in yours, but uh, that's all right. That's all right. Maybe I like the Coens better. I don't know. <laughs> but you have Kill Bill, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, looking at my number five, I tell a lie. I do have a Cohen. Oh. I completely didn't see it. My mistake. Oh, there you go. 2000's Oh Brother, Where Okay, I knew it. I was going to say, <laughs> Oh Brother's not on there? You love that movie. Yeah, my mistake. Okay. That is, yeah, yeah that's my number five I was pick. I say, I, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was going to be Oh Brother or No Country. It's yeah. the Coen Brothers adaptation of The Odyssey by Homer, set in 1920s Alabama, or Mississippi? Mississippi. Mississippi, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. George Clooney plays Ulysses Everett McGill, a escapee from the chain gang. George Clooney. Who Amazing. is joined by uh, John Turturro's Pete and Tim Blake Nelson's Delmar. And they're trying to find this great treasure that's been buried somewhere, or Clooney knows where it is, and they get caught up in an adventure where they meet ex- like, you know, eccentric characters like Big Dan Teague, the giant Cyclops, played by John Goodman. Yes. And they run in with the clan, and they end up becoming rock stars, almost, which is so strange. It's such a funny movie. Hilarious. It's got some of my all-time favorite Cohen lines, like, go forever it? Yeah, this, and, and the, like mu- the, the music. The man. music is it won a Grammy. Big Rock Candy Mountain. I was watching Tim Blake Nelson talk about his career, and he said that because he sang in the Jailhouse Now in the movie, he has a Grammy. Yes, and he said it's the most undeserved award he ever got. That's awesome. <laughs> it yeah. won Soundtrack of the Year. Tim Blake. Oh yeah, Album of the Year. It's, it's amazing. Stellar. stellar. It's work. such a funny movie. It's so smart, 
And the Coens never read the Odyssey for this. They read the Cliff Notes. Fuck yeah. Anytime Those are my anybody guys. in an English class, the Coen brothers read the Cliff Notes, you're going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. The Coens. <laughs> Oscar winners. Oh, yeah. One of my all-time favorites. So funny. There's a lot of comedy on my top ten, I'm realizing. The 2000s gave you a lot of laughs. That's good. Yes, they did. That's good. <laughs> Well, so great. I'm going to change the pace up a little bit. Oh, boy. Okay. My number four is a devastating, devastating film. Fuck. <laughs> by Ryan Fleck, who directed Captain Marvel. Uh, it's a Half Nelson from 2006, starring Ryan Gosling and Anthony Mackie and Sharika Epps. A brutal, brutal movie about Ryan Gosling as a teacher at a middle school. And he's also a heavy, heavy drug addict um, who kind of takes an interest in, or well, I would say the student takes an interest in him. Uh, and, and finds out about his drug habit uh, uh, while he's doing it at school one day. Fuck. And uh, it's like in, you know, inner city, and uh, Anthony Mackie is a drug dealer. It's just, it, it's like epic, uh, like epic drama. And Ryan Gosling, to me, this is crazy. A lot of people will think I'm insane. I think he gives, besides Heath Ledger, Joker, I think this is the best performance of the decade. Uh, he was also, at the time, the youngest person, might still be, at the time, yeah, I think he still is because he was 26 when this happened. He was 26 in 2006. He was the youngest male to be up for best actor, not supporting, not anything else, just straight up best actor. That's awesome. That's pretty fucking incredible. Um, I don't remember who he lost to. 06? 06. Uh, Last King of Scotland, Forrest Whitaker? Yeah, yeah. Which is like, good, cool. Good catch. Which is like, cool, I guess, but... I haven't seen it. I can't make a call. Hey, it's a fine movie, but it's like, is anybody really watching that again? Whereas Half Nelson is like, people who have seen it are like, oh my fucking God. Like, Ryan Gosling is on a different planet in this movie. Um, yeah, I highly suggest anyone who hasn't seen it, which is probably a lot of people. That's fine. Um, it's not the most interesting movie poster. Uh, but don't judge book by its cover. This is a great movie. And Ryan Gosling, again, delivers something, something very, very special. That's fantastic, man. I have not seen Half Nelson. And uh, I will. For sure. Yeah, no, you, you would you would adore it. It's good. It'll make you cry. <laughs> My number four is another comedy. It's what it's been my favorite one of my favorite comedies for a very long time. I I put this on a lot. I watch this maybe three times a month almost. It's one of my favorites. 2008's Tropic Thunder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you remember one of the first times we like were talking about movies at work? I was like I'm not a huge fan of Tropic Thunder. I know. And you were like, fuck you, man. That stuck with me. That that really did. And then I, I kind of like kept snowballing. I was like, you know what? I don't really like Talladega Nights either. And you're like, no, just stop, Austin. <laughs> I was like, let me just think of 2000s movies that I think Connor likes and all. <laughs> no, Tropic Thunder is very, very funny. So funny. Very funny. It's arguably the best role of everybody involved. Ben Stiller, Robert Downey Jr. as an Australian actor playing a black man. Come on. And he didn't get in trouble for that because he's so goddamn good at it. It's the whole time he's in black he's in blackface doing a shaft voice. And it is so funny because it's so smart. Yes. He's not, you know, he's like I said, he's an Australian actor who's a method actor playing a black soldier. I mean, come on, only he could get away with it. And this is the same year as Iron Man. This is right after his, you know, release from prison, getting his career back. Yes. And he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for this. Yeah. And it's amazing. You got Tom Cruise in the greatest performance of his career as Les Grossman, the piece of shit studio exec who leaves Ben Stiller to die in the jungle. <laughs> I love Tom Cruise in this so much. Oh, my God. Jack Black as a heroin 
addict Perfect. going through withdrawal. He's my favorite in the movie. Yeah. Danny McBride is a psycho pyro pyrotechnic guy. Nick Nolte as this jaded soldier who's lying about everything. Come on, man. It's perfect. It's so, so funny. And yeah, it's Matthew McConaughey as his stupid agent trying to get the TiVo. <laughs> There's so many perfect moments in this. It's one of the funniest films I've ever seen in my life. I've never laughed harder in a movie theater than oh, I did the man. first time I saw this. And I saw Tom Cruise yelling at the phone, I will fuck you up! That whole scene. <laughs> I couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah, hands down, one of my favorites. <laughs> Definitely, that was the first film I wrote down for this count, for this top ten. <laughs> That's so awesome. So that was number four. That was number four. All right, here we go. Top three, and we know your number two is Glorious Bastards. Glorious Bastards. So yeah. my number three is what I think should have been No Country for Old Men, that would be Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Mm, I knew it was coming. What a fantastic film. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie, most complete movie, uh, focused movie. He, know, he knew exactly what he was trying to do. I, Phantom Thread's really good as well, also really focused, also starring Dan Day-Lewis. But this one, There Will Be Blood, is like soul-shattering, soul-shaking, but you're only watching like four guys, you know, um, and really you're watching one guy and his son. Uh, go through life and go through this this really warped way of living, this really warped way of success, of looking at success and looking at how he, you know, how Daniel Plainview wants to move up. Don't be thick in front of me, Al. You know, just constant. Dan- Daniel Day Lewis is. I've practiced, yeah. I love, I love, love, love this movie. It's like one of those. If it's on, like if I see it on TV and I'm flipping through channels, I don't fucking care where it is i'm stopping i'm gonna join in wherever it is it could be at the beginning when there's nothing happening it can be when he's first meeting paul dano's character it could be when he's bashing his head in with the bowling pen it could be when his son is going deaf it could be anything the milkshakes it doesn't matter everything hits perfectly paul thomas Anderson is probably my favorite director of all time tarantino's you know I, i love him but pta has this way of kind of Mm. I don't know how to exactly say. I've never been able to. I don't. I don't know why I love him so much. Why I love his je ne sais quoi. <laughs> There you go. Say it again. It's a certain je ne sais quoi. <laughs> PTA, most pretentious director of all time. No, he's uh, he, he 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 very much has a vision, and sometimes it doesn't totally make sense or doesn't totally add up. Yeah. But he fucking sticks to it. It's true. And commits to it, and does not care if it looks weird or wacky or if it's outside the box. That usually works in his favor and like to his advantage. Yeah. And there will be blood. I, yeah, again, I'll say I think I have movies that I like better of his. Well, I have one that I like better of his. Magnolia. It's my favorite movie ever. Uh, how can I? You know. I, but but this movie is better than Magnolia. It's more. You know what I'm saying? It's more precise. Yeah. It knows exactly what it wants and it fucking accomplishes it inside of a you know a frame that's smaller than what PTA is used to. Uh, yeah. I this movie's. Stellar. <laughs> I know you agree with me. I, I know it's it is not, a great movie. It's not on yours, but yeah, I know you agree. Like it, it, it's great. True, it's a great film. Very true. Probably Daniel Day Lewis's best performance. If you could pick one, <laughs> that's, that's a, hard, man. That's a because tough one. That's hard because I think this is like the one he was born to play, Dan, Daniel Plainview. Um, I think him and PTA is like a fucking match made in heaven. It's like the two most weird guys. Like. <laughs> I think like Fincher I think Fincher and, and Daniel Delos would have been a fascinating pair because they both demand like excellence at all times yeah and so does PTA uh, I just Daniel, here's a funny story so there was a guy 
who, so you know, you have Paul and Eli Sunday, which is Paul, Paul Daniel plays both of them. Yeah. Initially, there was a guy who was going to play, um, which one is it that's, that gives him the information? I can't remember. One of them, he, there was an actor who was going to play, so it was going to be Paul Dano and another guy playing the brothers. Yeah. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Thomas Anderson scared that fucker off set because he wasn't good enough, and they were like, who is this guy? So he never acted again in his life. And Paul Dano was like, I'll do both. Jesus. And PTA was like, I don't have enough fucking time to find another guy to play this. So yeah, let's just go with Paul Dano. He can play both. And it, I think it worked out great. It did, but jam. But they kind of ruined that guy. Who yeah. was that guy? I, I, I've seen his name. It's like on I, like I've looked it up because I heard that story. Another great story because I've already talked about uh, No Country for Old Men. Yeah. No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood, as we know, they've like truly battled it out for that Oscar. Like it was an actual race. Even at my, I was, you know, 12, 13 when it was, that was happening. Even I remember it. it was an actual race that people were like arguing is it There Will Be Blood or No Country? It's like these two American classics. Uh, and, you know, I'm partial to There Will Be Blood, but I love both. They were filming at the same time in Texas. You could see when, when No Country, when the Coens were doing stuff for No Country, uh, when they were doing, like, chase scenes out with Josh Brolin out, like, in the desert, you could see smoke and fire coming out whenever PTA was doing his scenes late in the movie for There Will Be Blood when there's explosions and shit. Can you imagine? <laughs> Jesus. What the hell? And you, you like, apparently they, like, contact you. They're like, hey, man, like, you're in my shot. Like, and PT's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm making my movie. Like, wow. That's just, that's amazing. You know, even if that weren't true, if that's just, like, some made up fairy tale, I don't care. It's just, like, genius to think about. It's mythology. Well, three, like, you know, the Coens and then PTA, three of my favorite people to ever do it, um, and two of my favorite movies of this decade <laughs> at the same time in my home state. <laughs> ah. uh, gets my gears grinding. <laughs> I bet that's, that's phenomenal, man. What's your uh, What's your number three? My number three is a film that never got its due. It's a film that oh yes, never Excited. got any attention. I don't think it was a modest success. It remains one of my all time favorites. My favorite revenge movie ever, and it's 2002's The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh <laughs> wow, what a call! Yeah. I saw, uh, I almost I almost put this. This is one of the best revenge stories of all time. It's the best adaptation of the book. It does take some liberties, but it takes the right liberties. And I have read the book by Alexandre Dumas, and it is so good. The movie directed by Kevin Reynolds and uh, stars Jim Caviezel and Guy Pierce as best friends turned enemies. And you just it's so great. It's one of my all time favorites. I've I've watched this movie all the time since I was a kid, and I never really understood why that's the weirdest thing I've, I've always been called to this movie but I never know I don't know why yeah there's something about this movie that I can't stop watching it's mesmerizing it's just so smart and it's I think it's the whole you know friends turn enemies like to have your best friend ruin your life and steal your life and lock you away and how you would process that like once you got out what would you do what's your first move yeah, yeah. how would you I mean because it, you know, it's your entire life turned upside down. Everything you thought you knew is dead. What do you do? And the way that uh, Edmund Dantes takes his revenge is so goddamn satisfying. And Guy Pierce plays such a great scumbag. Fernand Mondego is one of my favorite villains of the decade because he's such a shit. But it's so... It's just so sad to watch... Edmund lose his whole life. He's such a good man. Yes. Who wants nothing more than to just have his own life and be a good enough man for the woman he loves. But Fernand says, no, I want her. 
so you're going away. Yeah. And in prison, the Chateau D, before we meet uh, Michael Wincott's her- like horrendous warden, uh, Dorliac, is he's such a horrible human being. He's got one of my favorite lines ever. When Dorliac says, uh, he strips Dante's cl- uh, shirt off and start, is going to whip him because it's his first day. And Dante's is praying to God and he says, God will deliver me justice. He sees everything. And Dorliac says, I'll make you a deal. Um, what do he say? You call you call God for help, and I'll stop the minute he shows up. <laughs> oh, that's a t-shirt. So evil. And yeah, just watching Dantes try to escape and learn his craft, learn how to yeah. fight, how to breed, how to process economics, and then to just become the Count. It's so good. It's so like flawless. It's such a great story, and it's a timeless story because we've all, you know, thought about. You know, revenge, I'm sure, at some point. But I don't think to this extent, I hope not. No. But I think it still holds up, and I think it's one of the most underrated films of all time. Yes, underrated is yeah. definitely the definition. Never of this really movie. got enough attention. No. And no. I'm, I'm going to watch it again soon. I, I really like that you had that on there. It's one I of my favorite movies. Completely went over my head. I know. Like, yeah. I, I, I had to, like, when I was kind of editing my list, I, you know, I looked up. I literally searched on the internet hidden, hidden gems from the 2000s yeah. and that came up and I was like holy fuck I forgot about that one and I thought about putting it in there because it, like you said it might be the greatest revenge story of this decade and you know of the past you know 20-30 years so yeah, that's a great one <laughs> oh man we're down to number two we know you're number two he's yes. bastard so we'll talk about that in a minute but okay. let me get through this one first All uh, right. would be David Fincher's 2007 Zodiac that's number two yeah you have no idea fuck, I don't is. I I thought if it wasn't... That happened last time. Yeah. Ooh, man. <laughs> I thought if it wasn't Brokeback, it's going to be Zodiac. So what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> uh, Zodiac is very dear to my heart. We're going to be doing it soon as, a, as an episode. I think in... January. Yeah, it's like right around my birthday. We chose it right because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Zodiac starring uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo. It's the story of the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. <laughs> San Francisco... That's what I want to start off with first. Is Zodiac uses California different than I've ever seen? Uh, obviously, Fincher is very good. At, he did that kind of uh, social network, Palo Alto, this, the the California area. He makes it look a lot more bleak and yeah. raw and authentic because yeah, California is like nice weather and all, but there, there are like a lot of days throughout the year where it's just kind of like cloudy and like seventy. When it you know shows the climate of the time, it's the Zodiac killer. Exactly, exactly. That's where I was getting to. Is like it's yeah. it's. It captures exactly exactly what you think when you think Zodiac, when you think the killer, when you think of this killer. We still don't know who it is. And uh, that's another thing that's amazing about this movie that kind of leaves it up to your imagination. Yeah. But then you have the end where it's like, mm, David Fincher's like, it's Arthur Lee Allen. Yeah. Where he's kind of nudging you, like, which is John Carroll Lynch's character. Absolutely chilling performance from him. I think he deserved the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I think Zodiac should have been up for Best Picture, I think. Uh, both both Robert Downey Jr. and Jake Gyllenhaal should have been up. It got zero nominations, zero, and that is a fucking shame. This is this is Fincher's like most crowning achievement. Like he he really went for it here. It's long as fuck. It's like episodic, and it goes through different decades, and and it shows like the downfall of of uh, you know Paul Avery and Robert Graysmith, where they're both like. At first, like, oh, I'm just like a newspaper guy trying to make a name. And then they're like, become obsessed with this killer. And they become obsessed with, I don't know what, because they don't, they can't fucking figure it out. 
uh, and it, that's what makes it rewatchable probably to me is that we never find out who it is. Yeah. That you're constantly going back trying to find clues and you think as an audience member somehow, some way that you're going to be smarter than them that you can figure it out. That's not going to happen. But Fincher made one of those gems where you actually think, oh, if I watch this movie enough times, I might be able to figure something out. It's like, no, that's the point of the movie. It'd be insincere if he had a killer at the end of the movie. Exactly. And fin- Fincher is uh, a guy who likes to just kind of like put it all on the table for you. Um, doesn't it? I don't know. I I feel like his agenda is not totally pushed as much as it could be as a director, especially how powerful he is. Yeah. Uh, like the social network. There's times where he could have gone real like against one way or the other, but he kind of showed us a story. Yeah. And that's 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 how I feel about. Zodiac. He doesn't take sides. No. He just he just yeah. well he's just obsessive. He's just a craftsman and wants to take these like stories, mundane and although exciting, very dark stories that a lot of people don't want to touch. And he did. And I just, it blows my mind that it wasn't more popular. It's like, maybe it came out 10 years too early. Probably. Yeah. Because people are obsessed with this shit now. Exactly. The true, yeah, the true totally. crime stuff. Zodiac could have been a hit. Uh, and it's got fucking Tony Stark in it. It's got the Hulk in it. And it's got Mysterio in it. Take that to the bank. Goddamn. Unbelievable. Zodiac is a is a 10 out of 10. I don't care who you are. It's it's a, it's a stellar movie that, that has to be seen. Um over and over to, to, to really to really enjoy it to really understand it and yeah Zodiac David Fincher it's my favorite David Fincher film right on man well done so number two for you Inglorious Bastards back to QT so yeah. let's yeah go ahead and talk about your love for it because I know we both adore it yes Bastards is arguably I think Tarantino's masterpiece in many different ways yeah I love that he has German actors speaking German French actors speaking French and the Americans speak English it, everyone makes sense the Nazis make sense Landa is a brilliant character because he's evil, but he's not exactly Nazi evil. He's opportunist evil. He will take whatever side he thinks benefits him. That's why he immediately turns on Hitler when he gets the opportunity. He doesn't give a fuck about the Allies. He doesn't give a fuck about the Jews. He is in it for himself. And I love that he gets his in the best possible way. Yes. Christoph Waltz immediately became one of my favorite actors with this movie. He came from, like, German obscurity and was dropped into Hollywood and made his mark pretty damn fast. Won his first Oscar for this film. And then quickly after with Django, yeah. which you also had in your top 10 of mm-hmm. the uh, 2010s. Yeah, I love this guy. I think it's my favorite Brad Pitt performance. <laughs> Oof! Close with uh, Oof. Cliff Booth. Yeah, that's but tough. Aldo Rain I know, is, a, man. is a goddamn hero. And he was the first. Yeah. So, you know, that's always going to be stuck in our brains. <laughs> And I love this idea of a group of Jewish American soldiers dropped into World War II to kill Nazis. Yes. To bring that viciousness and that inhumanity upon their head. It's so goddamn good. It's it's a it's a thank you. Yeah. And it's you know, it's the first time Tarantino rewrote history, had Hitler get gunned down by Jewish soldiers while the yep. Nazi regime burns alive. Yes. Come Thank on. You. Thank you. Yes, God, please. Watching this evil literally crumble into the fires of hell. <laughs> yes. It's such a satisfying film. It's got, I think, the the most uh, the smartest scene he ever wrote is the uh, the basement pub, pub scene where it's all in German and French. I it's it, it's so <laughs> where yeah August it's, Deal, it's beyond me. He's it's yeah. on a different level. Yeah. August Deal's uh, Nazi uh, Gestapo colonel. Or Major? Yeah, Major. Gestapo mm-hmm. Major intrudes on their game and immediately figures out Michael Fassbender is a spy by doing the German 3. That was so smart. Ugh. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's it's the first time I saw Michael Fassbender, too. And he 
you know, stuck with me too. Became oh, one of my favorites. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I think it's just one of the best World War II movies because it's not, you know, just a movie it's about a battle. It's not a biopic. What's better than it? What do you mean? Like World, World War, War II? II better is is a better movie than Glorious <laughs> Bastards. You can say whatever. I don't care. Um, off the top of my head, I think Saving Private Ryan is pretty stellar. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, Strong. I don't know. It's tough. <laughs> I just think there's nothing nearly as original as this. Nothing nearly as original. Nothing and not nearly as funny. Entertaining. Yeah. yeah. And violent. Actually violent. And satisfying. Like, yes. It's just you're watching the Nazis die the way they fucking should have. On actual characters, not just these fucking down home like. Yeah. It's not a biopic. <laughs> it's not just watching another battle movie with you know no. the good old boys. It's. You know, people who are invested in this war. It's Jews from America. It's Elder Rain with yeah. a fucking thing all the way yeah. around his neck, knowing it's, that this man was damn near lynched. Yeah, it's Eli Roth with a baseball bat with the names of his Jewish friends written, like, carved into it, beating the fuck out of a German colonel. Yeah, it's the best World War II movie. I, I just don't, yeah. I, no more I'm talking about it, I think you're right. There's just nothing, yeah, I, I, I do, I agree. Same Private Ryan's a stellar film, stellar, but there's nothing, nothing in it that, I'll watch Comes this close. before I watch Saving Private yeah. Ryan every day of the week. Yeah, there's nothing close to the originality of, of, no. of Inglorious Bastards. And, and the, the fictional nonfiction, come on. That angle is like is just so ballsy. And, I think this is the film that Tarantino should have taken every award for. I, I agree. I, I, I'm with you where I think this and Once Upon a Time are kind of like, mm, those are masterpieces like, yeah. for, for anyone. I understand if you don't like Reservoir Dogs. I can get if you're not totally down with the uh, Pulp Fiction dialogue. I get if you don't like Jackie Brown. I get if you don't like Kill Bill. I really get if you don't like Death Proof, you know. Uh, and I understand if you don't like Django or Hateful Eight. But those two, to me, are like, what the fuck's wrong with you, you know? Those two are masterpieces. They're like, hands down, 10 out of 10 type movies, wh- whoever you are. They're just, they're like, a, they're a moviegoer's movie. Yes. You, you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, that kind of a thing. But even Bastards, I feel like, transcends that. Like, this this is a movie that brings together history buffs. Yes. Like, action fr- uh, fans and film fans and comedy fans and war movies Brad Pitt guys, fans Brad Pitt fans foreign film fans like everybody can find a piece of this yes and at the end of the movie you know Aldo carves a swastika in Atlanta's head and he just says you know I think this might be my masterpiece and Tarantino was right oh man <laughs> yeah totally genius wonderful film genius <laughs> wow the moment we've all been waiting for all right. Our number one movie. Number one. Uh, I'm very curious. Obviously, I'll be going first here. Uh, I, you won't be after you hear it. 2001, David Lynch, Mulholland Drive. Uh, ha, ha, I should have known. Yeah, <laughs> Mulholland Drive. Too weird, too different, <laughs> too original. Written and directed by David Lynch. I like when guys do that. What the fuck? I still don't know what this movie is totally about. Um, I've seen it a handful of times. I, every time I revisit it, I find something spectacularly new. Not just new, but like, whoa, holy shit, I didn't see that before. Uh, Naomi Watts, I didn't think I would ever um, call one of her movies one of my favorite movies of all time. I really didn't think that. Definitely didn't think Justin Theroux was going to have one of my favorite movies of all time. Robert Forster, on the other hand, I did. I, I do understand that. Um, yeah, this, this movie's filled with people that I just kind of have like found a connection to. Uh, the guy who plays Jacob in Lost is in it. 
Oh, I can't remember his name. Mark uh, Pellegrino. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I yeah, yeah, love Mark Pellegrino. Yeah, he's great. He actually has one of the funniest scenes of the whole movie. Uh, I'll, I'll give you because it, it has no rhyme or reason. The movie has no rhyme or reason, really. Um, well, it does. It does. And, and someone who's like a big fan of it, if they're listening to me, be like, "Oh, fuck this guy!" Like, because there are there's definitely symbolism in it. I just don't want to get into it right now. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you haven't seen it, so um, yeah. But there is a there is a scene with him with what's his name? Pellegrino. Mark Pellegrino. So he's. He, he's trying to steal something from somebody. I won't say exactly what all it is, but he, he like, shoots this guy, and then he, he's like, fuck, I gotta, like, clean it up or whatever. And then, like, someone hears him, and so he has to shoot that guy. And then another guy comes in, he's, like, cleaning the hallway, and he's like, he's like, fuck. So he's gonna kill, like, multiple people. Oh, jeez. It's hilarious. Hilarious bit of the movie. But it's filled with that kind of stuff, this circumstance, and it, it's, like... Mm, I don't know. It's so ambitious, and you, you know, I, I love that. I love when people just kind of fucking go for it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have movies on here like Bastards and Fellowship of the Ring, very complete, well done, high quality, and then I have this. This is this is for me. Mulholland Drive is something like David Lynch clearly doesn't give a shit what people think about him. Uh, he made my favorite TV show, Twin Peaks. After I watched that, I was like, I need, need, need to see everything that he's touched. Uh, that would include this, and this this is my favorite movie by him. Um, I, there's nothing more I can say about it, man. I you have to see it, yeah, to really to really understand because it's it's like a drug. Um, it's one of those where it just kind of just kind of fucks with you and stays with you, and then you're like, shit, I think I need to watch it again because I kind of I kind of want to know what's going on, but then you you just keep getting roped back into these like, oh fuck, just whirlwind of stories and amnesia and just yeah, just awesome awesomeness. It's off the wall. Again, totally original, totally wacky. Mulholland Drive. This is my number one. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm eager to hear what you got. All right. Well, I did say I had a Lord of the Rings movie, <laughs> and it is Return of the King. Yes. The third and final installment of Peter Jackson's trilogy, and one of the most incredible films of all time. Epic. Yeah. Won 11 Oscars, including Woo! Best Picture. And Rightly so. It's the film that caps off the story, and it's got... Probably my like the best score of the franchise, the best some of the best scenes. You've got just you know it's the end. It's everything comes to fruition, and it's so perfect. I've got, especially for me personally, uh, Aragorn's story is the best. Just his you know battle of like going to the ghosts and leading the fucking ghost army to Minas Tirith. You've got John Noble as the as Denethor, the psychotic leader, or the steward. And <laughs> I think he gets overlooked big time yes. in this franchise. And I love seeing Frodo and Sam get there to the end. They yeah. did it. Yeah. And even at the end, like when, you know, Frodo can't do it. And it's weird how Gollum kind of ends up saving the world. <laughs> I love it. Because in that, I kind of think maybe Smeagol got through. Like maybe it wasn't just an accident. Maybe Smeagol was like, I'm dying and I'm taking this fucker with me. Mm-hmm. That's how I look at it anyway. But uh, the reason it's my number one is... Because it's a fucking great movie? That's one of them, yes. <laughs> <laughs> But the scene where Minas Tirith is being bombarded by orcs that, you know, uh, Denethor's basically said, you know, flee! And they're screwed. And everybody's thinking, like, this is it. And then the riders of Rohan show up. <laughs> and you got, you know, the, the sunset or the sunrise behind them and the music swells. And they all think they're going to their deaths. Like, Theoden, you know, is giving his speech, and he's like, you know, this is it. Like, this is the last stand of men. And you just 
watching them, you know, ride into battle while the Rohan theme swells, I tears to my eyes every single time. And it was no question that this was going to be my number one pick. Yeah, I knew. I knew. Yeah. I actually thought it might be Two Towers. I love Two Towers. There's a part. Oh, I, yeah. I, again, all three are 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah they're fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish we had a third person who could have had Two Towers in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. It is It is probably my favorite finale. Well, no, it is. It is. I don't know why I keep saying probably. I, it's it's the best trilogy. Yeah, It's the best trilogy ever, man. Like, I, cinematically, uh like you said, the acting is really fucking good. The writing is really fucking good. There's emotional stakes. Yes. You feel yes. it. And, and also, there's there's just no fluff. No. There's no fluff, really. I there's, watched, no, yeah. there's no, there's no, there's no rubbish. There's no, like, the Game of Thrones rubbish that I get tired of. Yeah. Like, tits and dragons, you know? Uh, Game, Lord of the Rings is very much about the fucking story. Yes. And how do we progress? How do we progress? How do we progress? Obviously, you know, I'm not comparing it to Game of Thrones. I'm just, you know, they're two like huge things. One of them is a TV show, so they have a lot more time to kill. But the, <laughs> these movies, you know, that, that, that nine to 10 hours is about as good as it's ever going to fucking get on the screen. True. I always, I watch the extended cuts and even on those, there's no fluff. It four hours well, flies by. There's more, there's, there's even better content. Yeah. Like, there's stuff in there that, yeah, it blows me like away, Like the death man. of Saruman. That's not oh, in the theatrical. I know. But it's such a great scene. I forget sometimes what is and isn't. <laughs> me too, man. Because I watch yeah. the extended now. It's yeah. tough. It's weird. Yeah. It's I'm past due for a Lord of the Rings marathon, man. I, I love these movies. Without uh, doubt. I'm really glad you had it number one. I knew you would. Um, so let's go back through our, our each of ours, you know. Okay. Um, you, you go ahead, yeah. All right. Number 10, 28 Days Later. Number 9, Casino Royale. Number 8, The Dark Knight. Number seven, Hot Fuzz. Number six, Kill Bill Volume One. Number five, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Number four, Tropic Thunder. Number three, The Count of Monte Cristo. Number two, Inglorious Bastards. And number one, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Very nice. And for me, I got number 10, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Number nine, Brookback Mountain. Number eight, Inglorious Bastards. Number seven, The Darjeeling Limited. Number six, A Serious Man. Number five, No Country for Old Men. Number four, Half Nelson. Number three, There Will Be Blood. Number two, Zodiac. And number one, Mohan Drive. So we only have one crossover, and that would be Inglorious Bastards at eight for me and two at Con- for Connor. And then Lord of the Rings, I had the first one, uh, Fellowship of the Ring at ten, and he had Return of the King at one. What were some films that nearly made the cut that you had trouble? I actually cried over Little Miss Sunshine. Wow. I actually cried. I yeah. Because I, I didn't know what to do. Because it, I, so I'll just explain. Because it's kind of fun. It's like it's such an interesting process in your own brain. Yeah. And my cutoff point was like, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Like that's my number ten. That's my cutoff. So I'm like, I'm deciding between Little Miss Sunshine and Fellowship of the Ring. I'm like, ah, I can't do this. <laughs> and I'll admit, my heart was telling me to go with Little Little Miss Sunshine, but my brain was telling me to go with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> if you know what I mean. It, yeah. It's it's so difficult. But that one I was like. That movie's very, very dear to my heart. I think every performance in Little Miss Sunshine is like... I've always said that Little Miss Sunshine's missing a character, and that's a lie. It's when all of them are actually together that they create that one character, family. Um, and when they're pushing the van, is like when they're all one, moving as one. Yeah. Other than that, none of them are redeemable. All of them are pieces of shit. So it's like... I, I love that movie. It was very hard for me to leave off, because it has like a... I, but I didn't know what to take off. I did not know what to do. But that was the one. There were others, you know... But uh, what about you? Did you have like one that was just brutal? The Departed. Yeah, I, I thought about that one for yeah, a long time. As I was well. struggling with that one big time. That's 
such a great mob movie. Uh, again, highly rewatchable. Yeah, yeah, extremely. And honestly, one that I... Uh, there were a couple others. Uh, the first Star Trek I was toying with. Uh, Seven Psychopaths. That's a great movie. Or wait. That might be too Is late. That, that might be like... Doesn't that was on the other well, list. My yeah. mistake. But that one too. Uh, Red Dragon I was toying around with. I love that movie. The Patriot. Yeah. This this was a tough one. There were Anchorman. Like there were a lot of really good yeah, I didn't, movies. I didn't I didn't do like any comedy, but I, I just thought about Superbad. <laughs> one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah, it was it was tough. It was really tough. Yeah, Shaun of the Dead. I, I talked about mm-hmm. um, Hellboy. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could do you could do a top one hundred of these. But oh, easily. It's you know we've got to narrow it down somewhere. Well, uh, you know I guess we'll we'll kind of talk about our plans here with these. You know. These are going to be released kind of whenever. Yeah. But uh, we, we plan on doing like a personal list for, you know, now we've done the 2010s. Um, both of us, we've both done the 2000s. We did a 2010s uh, collective horror yeah. top 10. And we're going to continue doing that because yes. we, we really enjoy the um, the collective where you kind of have to agree. Uh, especially because it's horror, it's a specific genre. If we both made our own list, we'd be stretching a lot. Yeah, it'd be a uh, lot of overlap. It'd be the, kind of a waste of time. Yeah, this this will be more of like, all right, these are the ten best of that decade. You know, kind of like kind of what we did with the 2010s. We we said Hereditary one, Halloween two, this sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, this way we can go through each decade and talk about our favorite genre together, and then talk about our favorite movies separately and kind of bring that to the table. So there's no there's no schedule for when these will be released. It's just gonna be. Whenever we feel like there's some downtime. There so. are bonuses bonus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we hope you had a lot of fun with this. We'll be doing the nineties next and that's yeah, we'll be do- be yeah, so we're gonna go nineties, then we're gonna do eighties and then seventies. After that we're gonna stop. Yeah. Because we have a lot of sixties yeah. stuff to still watch, a lot of fifties, a lot of forties, so on and totally. you know. So uh, we, we feel very confident seventies on. Yes. Uh, basically post haze code. Yes. You and I feel very confident yes. about movies because we've seen a lot. So that's uh, exciting, man. Uh, the '90s are going to be fucking brutal. Yes, so. that's going to be insane. So my all-time favorites came out. of the I 90s. still have some adjustments to make, I think, because I'm <laughs> I'm toying with a couple that I'm I'm kind of losing my mind on. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, man. Uh, it's great. Well, I don't know what we got for you this week, but I hope you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you for hanging with us, and we'll see you next time. Peace.